Good morning, everyone. So glad you found us on the map. <laughs> I'm Kimberly Walsh, and I'm here with my fellow co-host, Andy Bernstein. Chris Long is actually out on assignment this week. Um, we also have our wonderful, wonderful, um, what do we call it? What do we call Willie? Our resident very, expert. Resident. Colleague. Colleague. Like that. Okay. Colleague, <laughs> a panelist, co-host, uh, whatever. So just a quick background on us. Chris, Chris Long, who's not with us, like I said, out on assignment. She's been working with families to get people into treatment for many years. And Andy is the former producer of Crosscheck Radio with Kevin Stevens. I'm in long-term, long-term, easy for me to say, recovery. And I own a sober hope for women called Brady's Landing. The three of us are passionate about reducing the stigma around mental health and addiction. We put this podcast together so we can shed some light on the reality of these uh, diseases. We want to increase awareness and share stories of inspiration and provide a platform to learn about the resources available if you or someone you know needs help. You can ask questions during the show via Facebook Live, and you can submit your questions on our Facebook page. And finally, all of our podcast episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We have a great show today. Uh, like I said, Willie's back. Um, so first, let's turn it over to Andy. Why, thank you, Kimberly. I appreciate it. Uh, how are you guys doing? How is everybody? Check our, our check-in. This is our check-in. Oh, yes, Willie, why don't you go first? You'll be the first in our check-in today. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm actually wrapping up this week and then doing a staycation for two weeks. Uh, it's been a little bit crazy. I've been flat out since probably the end of March and stuff, so so it's overdue to take some time off. I just wrapped up three online courses with UMass, and I've been doing teletherapy to 30, 40 clients a week, so I need a little <laughs> break. And tell us about yourself a little bit as well for those who haven't uh, are not regulars of our, our program. Okay. Uh, I'm a person in long-term recovery also, uh, dual, and uh, I'm an educator for UMass Boston in the Addiction Counseling Education Program, uh, which goes towards the LADC. I've been teaching with them for 12 years now. Uh, I've been in the field for 34, for 34 years. Uh, I have a private practice up in Beverly, although now it's all by teletherapy at the present time. So, Got it. Yeah. I want to get back to that in a second. Um, but I, Kimberly, what's going on with you? Well, it um, <clears throat> seems as though an interesting trend has been developing. Um, I've been getting a lot of calls from um, beloved ones of people in addiction and the recurrent theme seems to be how do I know when my when my loved one when my daughter mother sister what have you is is ready for for treatment and and when do I save them and when don't I there, the fear seems to be that if they don't do them if they don't you know help them if they don't give them money if they don't um, take them where they need to go if they don't provide a shelter or a home that they're going to die and they really do feel this way. So they don't want their child to die, yet they, if they keep enabling them, they're, they're seeing that, oh, they're not gonna get any better. So I, I you know, the, there's a couple schools of thought on that, I think, but um, I, I in particular describe or subscribe to the theory that they need to be, um, you can't enable them. They, they have their own life, you have to protect yourself and you have to set up boundaries where you can say, hey, you know, I love you, but I'm not going to participate in this in your in your addiction anymore what do you think really yeah yeah i mean the bottom line is you can you can drug and drink if you want to but i am not going to be a part of it and uh, and i don't doubt for a second on uh, linkedin i actually have an article entitled enabling them to death on my linkedin website and stuff it's like you know i'll be you know i'm, I'm more than happy to help you along the way but you know i'm not going to enable you uh, you know if you want money um, I know one of the things that families have done done in the past is, you know, like, you, you know, like, let's say they need money to, to take the train or to take an Uber. It's like, well, I'll pay for the Uber. I, you know, I'll, I'll pay for the train, but I'm not giving you cash. Let me ask you something. Isn't it easier said than done? No, do absolutely. That? Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, I, uh, you know, I have a relative who um, we've talked about before and he, um, his his girlfriend ended up dying or his ex-girlfriend ended up dying of an overdose and she's young and he used to give her money like lots of money yeah. and it was like oh I'm going to pay for a rehab I'm going to go here you know she's going to go here but then um, 
you know, she, I think she, you know, you know, obviously you, she used it for drugs and then she would get money from other people as well, you know? And, and so my cousin, my cousin cut her off and said, I'm not giving you any money anymore. And then she ended up, she ended up overdosing. Right. But it was kind of like, you're not doing these people a favor, I guess is the, the, the bottom line, but it hurts, right? If you're somebody, it's like, I love this person. I don't want to see this person suffer, you know, to shift my behavior to say, Oh, I don't want to, I can't take help you anymore. You know, how do you do that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing I see all the all the time that the families end up more insane than the patient ever thought of being because the patient's numbed out with their drug of choice. Families are trying to make sense out of what their loved one is doing, and a lot of a lot of times, what they're doing, what they believe is in the best one of their love, their best interest of their loved one, actually allows them to continue the addiction. So, I mean, exactly. it, and when they're yeah, and when they're in addiction, they're what they're doing is they're manipulating in line. That's what we do in addiction. We're yeah. You know, and you'll know, I think you'll know when they're ready, you'll know, because they will be, they'll, you know, they're just defeated and they'll be, they'll be willing to do whatever they need to do to get, to get, to get better. Otherwise. Well, yeah, because you get the families too. who will say, well, you know, I don't want them to die on the street. Hey, you know what? They can die in your home too. Right. You, you know, you, I mean, and it does happen. So. Right. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you my own personal experience. Right. And I have to, I have to be honest because I bet you I reflect other people, okay? As much as I care about folks in, in, in this world, um, in, in the world, you know, who are struggling with addiction, there is a part of me that is very tired, right? And I'm imagining that parents probably have the same thing in a different way, but I get tired, right? I get tired of the whole, you know, um, you know, oh, by the way, Chris is trying to get in. She, <laughs> she's like, let me in. I'm not assignment. Why do I have that responsibility? Why is that on me? Yeah. Right. I don't, I, that's a lot of pressure, but anyway, you know, for me, it's like, you know, sometimes I'll tend to shut down. Right. And just wipe my hands of it and say, you know, and tell myself, you know what? I can't deal with that right now. Right. I just can't deal. And do you see that happening in, a lot of your, um, with, you know, maybe with families you talk to, or is it like, yeah, it gets to a point where there's an empathy burnout, you know, and I, and I, and I've written about that in the past too, where, you know, it gets to a point where, you know, your family's burned out. It's like you, you you're trying to get into a program that you've been in, you know, four or five times and they're saying, look, you know, you're a really good guy, gal, but you know, you've gotten as much as you can from the, from this program. So then you start getting shut off from programs. And then the next thing, you're in the streets in Central Square. I mean, you know, it's 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 a tough road. It really is. Not only that, they've got um, uh, they have. If they stop caring, then they feel like a bad parent. So they continue to care and they continue to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. I think it's all about boundaries, setting your boundaries where you can, you know, help them. Like Willie said, here's a, oh, you need money for a taxi cab? Let bring that here. I'll give. I'll hand the taxi driver the money. You know, those types of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can be difficult. It's an education piece where I work with the parents and stuff to say, you know, if, if you you're really... Speaking, education piece. Yes. The educator. That's what I am now. Congratulations. <laughs> right, we'll get yes. to you. We'll get Fire to away, you. Chris. Wait. Um, I hold on. Three minutes but, I'm in between Zoom meetings. Oh, uh, she's in, but so go, Chris. Well, talk. Yeah, I want to stay for a few minutes. I miss you guys. We miss Good you. Good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. This is like, I can't even tell you, like, I'll interrupt you real quick, but this is like what you're talking about is exactly what we, what I'm, I already knew, but now I am learning that this particular program that I'm working for is implementing it in the home. And it's just, it's so obtainable and it's so available and there's no questions asked. And it's just, it's so good. It's so refreshing to know that opportunities uh, are there for families and yeah, yeah you know it's like it's crazy it's crazy so so what are you doing specifically now and and, and how does it um how does it help the families tell us about your new okay, uh, so i am a family educator facilitator and what that means is that i work with the families i don't work with their loved one that's a care 
care person's job. They have two uh, separate people. They have a whole team that works with them. I'm the family educator. So I'm educating them about their recovery, um, addiction, like all of those things that, you know, like self-care, taking your life back and learning how to help your loved one instead of enabling or, um, you know, just making bad decisions. And it's like, it's, it's, it's what I've always been doing, but now it's just on a very different, uh, it's on a different level. Um, we set them up with family, marriage, uh, therapists, and, oh, good. you know, it, like it's, it's just three, three different core parts of aware, but we connect them throughout their entire uh, process to all the services that are available, like Willie, like family um, marriage therapists, like psychiatry, but we, we are integrated into their program. What because about, are, before you leave us, tell us a little bit about Stakes Are High real quick. Oh my God, that was incredible. So Stakes Are High was, um, we did it this weekend. Yep, there it is. Uh, we planted close to nine, over 9,000 flags. I don't know the exact number. Um, it drew a lot of curiosity. Uh, people are more out and about and walking, um, around, you know, getting the fresh air because they can, and people were coming up and asking and they were like, can we plant flags? And we're like, absolutely. So they would come and they would plant flags and, and yeah, so they're up on the Foxborough Common. There's um, over 9,000 flags. And what do they mean? What do each oh, so colors what, mean? The colors don't mean anything. They just represent the different years. Okay. Um, but what this is, is to raise awareness um, to each flag represents a life that has been lost in the state of Massachusetts to accidental overdose. So there's close to 10,000 flags on Foxborough Common each one represents a life that's been lost from 2015 through 2019. And of course, those numbers aren't set in stone because that's what, you know, SAMHSA says and they say. And, you know, so each year it shows you roughly what the flag numbers are for each year. So it's pretty powerful. Yeah. And how could people have, you know, with the COVID this year, um, usually you have people in the town in, in Foxborough, um, engaging with this. Was there a way to engage this year? Um, the only way to engage was to come up and, you know, uh, socially distance while we plant flags. So um, on Sunday, we will be pulling the flags out because they stay up for one week. And on Sunday, we'll be taking the flags out. I think we're probably going to start around 10 o'clock in the morning. It won't take as long because we don't have to mark and everything else. But um, as you can see, it's pretty powerful. And if you, you know, you want to get a, a, a sense of it, you go up. I can't tell you as I was planting flags in the years, it was kind of creepy. I get goosebumps. I was getting uh, dragonflies landing on flags around me, which they say are, um, you know, expressions from heaven. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And then you just go up and it's very quiet and you just listen to the flags wave and, it's it's very powerful. It really is. If you want to get a sense of, um, you know, the magnitude of how many lives have been lost to this. And you do this with the Foxborough JCs. Yep, the Foxborough JCs. It's under their umbrella. It's it's all my um, it's my baby, as I would say. I want to raise awareness. I'm blessed. My kids are in recovery. I haven't lost, um, but it's about raising awareness. It's about you know spreading spreading awareness, spreading education, and letting others know that they're not alone. Can you give those numbers again, the sheer numbers of people who have? I don't know the years off the top of my head. Um, they're on the, the Stakes Are High Facebook page, um, but it's just, it's just around 10,000 over the last, what is it, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, over the last five years. 10,000, but that doesn't even include the amount of people that are... Um, currently suffering no. you know so this, this is simply these is this is reported lives lost and it's important to know that it's reported, reported because people will go into it's it's not as prevalent now but people would go into the hospital having an overdose 
and the hospitals wouldn't recognize it as an overdose. They know it's an overdose, but they wouldn't recognize it, and it would be respiratory, died from respiratory distress. Yeah. Now yeah. Sorry? <laughs> now it would be COVID. <laughs> yeah, it would be COVID. So it's, it's they're not, they weren't recognizing. Um, I'm not exactly sure why. I don't know, you know, why, but we had a lot of kids that were addicts that passed away in the hospitals and, you know, the hospital would say respiratory distress. It wouldn't say um, accidental overdose. Now, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to ask you about pay, uh, like, how can people support this? Is there a way that if somebody says, I really want to support this, because it obviously is with the Foxborough JCs, which is a nonprofit. So you can go to, so next year I'm going to have to raise money because this year I used all of the money that I raised to buy uh, this coming year's flags. So I'm out of funds. So I will be doing fundraising next year. And you can go to the foxborojcs.org um, page and you can make a donation uh, to them. Just on the memo, put stakes are high. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Are we going to see you back next week? Yes. I'll be done hopefully with training. I it, So it's two weeks of intense training sitting in front of the computer on Zooms, doing pages and pages of, of work. And this with company- With chimes, with chimes in the back. Yeah. Uh, this company is very much about uh, self-care and not burning out. And we've learned all about that stuff. We are all trauma-informed employees, which mm-hmm. William, that's huge. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's crazy. So then I have uh, six weeks of physical shadowing, which is crazy. So um, it's not just like, here's your job. This is what you do. It's like, we're really going to train and invest in you. So and, and that was the gentleman who was on our show, right? There was yep. a Jason Snook, redhead. Yeah. 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 Who, who talks yeah. about the program. So that's great. That's it great. I'm, it is. Uh, all right. Well, so anyway, you guys, I miss you. I love you. Um, I got to find out because I got to go back to my next Zoom. So. All right, Chris. Farewell. <laughs> Bye. All right. Bye. There she goes. The one and only Kristen Perry Long. It's interesting okay. that she was mentioning the dragonfly before, because my wife, three or four times a week, she'll be in the backyard, and this dragonfly will just land on her shoulder. Oh. And, and, and I turned to her one day, and I said, what's the deal with you and this dragonfly? And she looked at me, and she just goes, oh, that's Nana, her mother oh. that passed away. And it just, you know, I get the goosebumps thinking about it. Oh, oh, that's Nana. But it's like, you know, three or four times a week in the backyard, this dragonfly will just come up and land on her shoulder. It's just yeah, freaky. So, just I call Nana. I've got her, I named her Thelma, and she comes, same thing. Like if I'm <laughs> Thelma, the yeah. swan flies into the back, you know, and, 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 and says hello and just kind of stays there for a little while and then leaves. From good times. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I don't know if people realize this, you know, because we talk about the COVID and everything, and it's like um, overdosing and addiction and mental health really has kind of taken a a back burner in a sense to the, the, the bigger picture. Are you guys seeing more of an increase right now? What, what are you seeing out there? And, you know, do we feel like, you know, we're making progress or we're just kind of. I think it's getting, well, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better because we're at the tail end people who went into treatment because of their addiction or their mental health. Yeah. I'm, I know I'm getting calls a lot more calls than before. Um, I think this, this is the time where people are just starting to come out of treatment. But yeah, that's still rampant, I think. What do you think, Willie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, before I address that, though, just to talk about that that family piece again, too. Like like families, a lot of times, they don't even know, that they, they don't even realize how affected they've been. I'll, I, I would have a family meeting and, you know, and... Uh, you know, you know, it would be a mother and father and their, their son, say, is the one with the addiction issue. And, you know, I would, during the course of the dialogue, I would suggest to the parents that they pick up a therapist for themselves. And a lot of times you get, what are you talking about? It's not my problem. It's their problem. It hasn't affected me at all. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, so that's, that's my question. You at all. It's like, take the ruby yeah, slippers. Yeah. I brought like, this up last night. I brought this up last night. Yeah. How many people... How many parents, right? You know, you hear, oh, my child overdosed, right? But how many parents look inward and said, I got a huge part to play in this? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, you know, I'll get I'll get the parents that, you know, like they'll get defensive and they'll say, you know, we gave you everything you ever wanted. And, you know, 
And then all of a sudden I have the patient exploding saying, yeah, you gave me everything, you know, but you never went to my sporting events. You never went to the parent teacher nights. Right. You weren't involved in my life. The two of you were just working 24 hours a day in your careers, you know, yeah. and, you know. And on some level, they know that. That's why they don't want to hear it. That's why they don't want to go into therapy right. because they, God forbid they have any blame, which you get, which is understandable. They don't think, well, I didn't, you know, I'm not the one with the problem, but, but yeah, you know what? The family support is absolutely critical for some for recovery. It's not yeah, creative. I mean, again, I mean, again, you show me anyone that's been in the detox five, five times, ten times, fifteen times. I am very willing to bet that there's a mental health issue that's not getting addressed, and more often than not, it's trauma, grief, and abandonment issues. I, I, I talked to someone the other day yeah. um, who said to me, "I was abandoned as a kid. Mm. I was neglected, and I, you know." was isolated. I create aloneness because that's what I, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And in order to, um, you know, mask that aloneness, I use, you know, whatever, whatever that is. And yet do the parent. And, and I just wonder, it's like, well, you know, what do the parents say? Because they created them. Well, they, you know, like oftentimes if they're in the room and quiet, then everything's okay. You know, right. There isn't that thought of, you know, are they isolating from the world? I mean, you know, so. No, I'll tell you, I was, I was sort I mean, I was neglected. I was absolutely neglected. There was trauma. I had all kinds of things that led to my addiction. But I will tell you in my, as an adult and in recovery, I realized that there's no way my parents are taking any piece of this. They're not going to own any of this. So, you know, whether you have support or not, you kind of still have to, you still have to get there, you know? So, but, but they. That's why I don't. That's why I don't do family counseling full full time because you know, like you get you you get somebody says something and then you get the mother or the father going, Oh, you know that never happened. You know that oh, was wait. and then they explode and now you're trying to referee and it's oh, I, well so I quick story. respect for family therapists. Nothing but total respect. Quick yeah. story. In my own life, I was um visiting my mom, right? Every time I go to visit my mom. Um, it's been harder as I live up here in New England and my life starts to, you know, take on my own life here and I get a lot of guilt and, you know, and I want to talk to my mother about being her, right? Because I, it, it means something to me to have a relationship with my family. You know, some people say, oh, well, don't worry about, you know, but it means something. And for the longest time, I've never been able to get my mom to sit down and talk about stuff with me. She always like walks away. Yeah, it's right. almost a generational thing, though, too. Yeah, right? uh, I'm 83 years old. I can't talk about this, right? Yeah. But a couple of times ago, a couple week, a couple, probably early in the year, for some reason, I was able to sit down with my mom and have a talk with her, and she stayed in the pocket with me, which was the coolest thing. She didn't, like, <laughs> pull her usual, I can't believe you're doing this to me right now. She actually said... And I, I explained to her, I'm like, mom, you never hear me. You never hear what I need, right? You just like shrug me off. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it was the most cathartic thing. And my mom really has just adjusted her behavior accordingly after that talk. Because it's like, if you're going to have a relationship with me, this is how yeah, we because need to it, communicate. Initially, they may say, you know, well, what good is it going to do now? And it's like, the good is going to be if you can validate what I'm saying, right? Then I can move forward. I'm, you know, you know, you know. What good can it do now? A lot, you a know, lot. validate yeah. my feelings. That's funny you should say that because the beautiful thing is, I now have a phenomenal relationship with my mom, and with with Nancy, that, Nancy, I'm, Nancy, and that you know, and that with that came her kind of coming to the realization as I got better, she got better, you know, and she was able to, like you said, really validate some of the things that that had happened and that and she's so you know and say be able to say to me i'm so proud of you now like i'm just yeah proud of you. i know i think you get to a certain age age too where it's not only your mother but you know you get to a certain age where they can become a friend and a confidant too. that's what i said to my my cousin i said to him i said because he and his father had a strained relationship i go why can't you just be a friend with your father at your age why can't you have a parent uh, not a parent child relationship but a an adult to adult relationship where yeah. you don't yeah. need to look to him to help you with you know to be a parent You're not looking for approval yeah. right yeah. be a buddy yeah, be a buddy be a buddy <laughs> call him up talk to stuff talk yeah talk sports with him do whatever to to build that relationship something beyond 
what was 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember a new when, path. Yeah, my uh, mother passed away in 2005. And, you know, it took months because it, it was just, it was such a behavioral piece where every Sunday night I would pick up the phone and call at 11 o'clock. You know, mm -hmm. it was a weekly check-in. And it took, it took months to, you know, you know, Sunday nights, I'd pick up the phone and I'd start to dial and go, oh, where I'd hang up. And then I just started to let it go through because we still had, we, we still had the house and her answering machine was on. So I would get her voice on the phone, even mm. though she was gone. But, uh, right. but oh. yeah, I've, you know. I've seen it's important. It's yeah. important. It is. Because I've seen more people taken out by the not getting the approval from their mom, from their dad, from their parents. Because we, because that's, you know, they're our parents and we think they walk on water. And when we don't get their, their approval, we think there's something wrong with us. So if they're not getting their, their mom, usually it's the mom, uh, to validate what they feel and, and acknowledge them and tell them, you know, that they're doing a good job, they won't, they, they can't handle it, you know? No, and you internalize it, people yeah. internalize it and act like it's, it's on them, self-esteem issues because... You know, and then you get, you, 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 right. you can get the situations where, I, I don't know how many times with clients I, I've been working with, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get the, the history of the family, you know, the family background and everything else. And, you know, at, at some point I'll turn and I'll, and I'll just say to them, you know, you were, you were never told that you're okay just the way you are, huh? And they had this just like this, this pop moment. It's like, you're okay just the way you are. Everybody's human. Everybody has, has issues that they're working on. I mean, it's part of the uh, condition. You know, the, right. So when people say they have it figured out, you don't. Right, you don't because it's an ongoing. We're in a constant process of self-actualization, right. if you want to put it. Inside. Right, because people say yeah. to me, "Are you in recovery?" No, but I'm on a journey. Yeah. Right? Is yeah. it? Is it? I'm recovering. Everybody's recovering from something. Yeah. Right? I don't know what he says I'm recovered. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Well, I get I get into it with my students about that though, because most of my students students in the addiction counseling pro program they're in recovery, and most of them are twelve step based. And, you know, they may ask me, ask me are, are you in recovery? And I'll say, no, actually, I've uh, recovered. And they'll go, oh, you've recovered, have you? And it's like, do you go to 12-step? Oh, yeah, I definitely do. I, you know, I'm, I'm hardcore AANA. And it's like, well, have you ever read the book of AA? And I'll go, well, of course I have. And it's like, oh, so then you must have missed that sentence that says, those of us that have recovered, you know, yeah. it doesn't say those of us in recovery. It's, and they go, well, if you're in recovery, what are you doing now? And I go, self-actualization. And then I usually fly them a little gesture, well, you know, and, uh, and then we go from there. Talk and <laughs> cognitive. Yeah, you but however you want to phrase it, recovery, we recover. Yeah, the constant state of learning is the bottom line. You're always yeah. learning about yourself. So, right. That's right. You got to peel back the onion. It's an ongoing process. And yeah. right now, you know, there may be things out there in your life that are uncomfortable. You may have being alone or being in the COVID and you can't go places and you may have to, you know, do more in your own head type of thing. And I think you got to just accept that, right? Like, like the problem. people can't accept it. So they're kind of losing it. You know what I mean? Like I need people, I need to, you know, it's, it's also a distraction. So when you're left with yourself and you have no one to talk to, but you or, or a computer, that's what's, I think that's, what's really doing the, yeah, you know, and that that's a big indicator of, 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 of what kind of a mental state you're in. I'll often say, you, you know how they oftentimes will say in 12-step, if you're, if you're not in a relationship, then you should wait at least a year before you get involved in a relationship with somebody. And I've had clients say, you know, well, what do you think about that? Do you think it's actually a 12-month mark or whatever? And it's like, well, the bottom line, I don't know if it's two, three months, you know, 10 months, 12 months. The bottom line is when you have a really healthy relationship with yourself, then, then you maybe can't love anybody it. else, right? You yeah. can't love anybody else until you love yourself. Yeah. Can you sit with yourself for, you know, for one or two hours without a TV on, without a distraction on, and you're okay in your own company. Right. You, know? right. you can be alone. Balanced, you, know? you can be isolated or alone. Like I could be alone and, and keep myself occupied. Yeah. Right? It's okay to be alone so long as you're not lonely. That's, that, right. that, that, that's right. different. What ends up happening is you end up being like this. So you become, you start a relationship and you're not whole yourself. You come in as a half. And so you come in the relationship like this. You mean you can't be like this, but yeah. you can't be like this. You kind of got to be yeah. two, two different yeah. people. You build your own life and you join together, right? Rather than you, you depend. Yeah, it's like if, if a client says to me, you know, I can't live without him. I can't live without her. It's like, you mean you really wouldn't want to? No, I can't. We need to talk because there's codependency going on here. One plus one is supposed to make two, not not one. 
you know. Right, so. and a sicky and a sicky don't make a welly. I've heard that Ooh, one. So. That's a classic one. Yep. Right, classic. that's a classic. Uh, so don't make a welly. Let's shift on something because you covered something that I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about. Um, yeah. So my sister, this could be helpful to people out there. Um, our our drivel, um, but uh, but just uh, yeah. What's that? One of the two. <laughs> one of the two. This could actually. I, I'm hoping that this could help some people. So, so my sister um, is, uh, she's 59 and she's trying to, you know, stay at home mom for like 22 years. Her and her husband got divorced. She's trying to figure out what next in her life, Hmm. right? Because it's hard for a 59 year old woman to start over again after being in the workplace, but she's got to go out and she's got to make a living. And she was telling me, and I had told her, I said, you might want to pursue a career in addiction counseling, right? It might be something that could be of great benefit to you. And she, she shrugged it off for years. Then she started working with uh, talking to a friend of hers who um, is uh, suffering with alcoholism, um, in and out of rehabs, um, you know, hasn't really made the changes. And so my sister finds herself very immersed in this caring, like trying to advise and be an ear and things like that. So I told her finally, I don't know why she's all of a sudden the light bulb went off, but she's like, I really want to get into this. I'm really interested in this field. And I said, okay, well, you, you know, you could be a marketer. She's like, I don't want to sell anything to anybody. I really like the idea of working one-to-one with somebody and really kind of, she goes, I can fix other people's problems. I just can't fix my own, you know, but, but she's, signed up for the class on um, in Baltimore on the addiction on, uh, to get certified or the c- certificate course. So as someone, and I said, I said to her, I said, well, you need to talk to my friend Willie because he's- Yeah, give her my, my number. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, but talk a little bit about the um, the opportunities right now in, in, a, in a job market that people are getting laid off. I, I'm imagining that there's a ton of Yeah, no, in, in the addiction field, I mean, I was just looking the other day, I, I forget the website I was on, but, you know, addiction counseling is, uh, you know, it's in the top 10 growing, growing industries in the United States. I mean, you know, there's, there's plenty of work. I had a, it, it's interesting because so many of my students, I mean, the age range of my students goes from 18 to 88, you know, and it's, uh, uh, you know, like a lot of a, a lot of times, you know, they're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm too old to go back to school. It's like, hey, I got my master's at 51 and they, and there's this pause. And it's like, yeah, it, it's never too late to go back to school. I, I have a friend that graduated from UMaine Medical School at 63. And right. Like, you know, why would you do it? She she's like, well, you know, I'm up in a rustic county and, you know, n- not a lot of medical up that way, except for Fort Kent area. But you know, if I can help a few of my family and friends and I'm thinking, you talk about altruism, you know, here's a woman going back to school that late in life so she can be available to help out family and family and friends. So, right. Yeah, I mean, so there, there's plenty of opportunities. I, I mean, some people now, like, like they're getting their, their foot in the door, uh, you know, with the recovery coaching programs and stuff where you can go through that for a week, you get your certification and then you, you know, it, it's going to limit you in, in how far you can go, you know, in a financial sense, but but it, it is a way to get in the door to really, you know, to try to pick up a job, you know, you know, with uh, um, like, like many of the hospitals are employing recovery coaching and stuff to work. In their, yeah. In their yeah. ER departments and stuff. Yeah. And I've got, I've got that information. If any, I did the recovery coach Academy too, just for, okay. yeah. so I've got that information if anyone wants it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think it's really interesting because uh, you know, it's kind of like in our society, um, you know, experience goes a long way, right? You know, and it's like, it seems like the older we get, the less, you know, in our society, it's like we kind of don't want the experienced people in like corporate America. It's almost like, in my opinion, like we, we, we really want younger people that can be shaped, right? Not putting a value on our experiences, you know? Um, and I would imagine that, what's up? Depends on the corporation or the company you're working for, I think. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's an amazing thing because my, my wife works, you know, for Brigham and Women's HR department. And, but how long has she been there? And she, she, she's been there for five, for five years now, but, but she's, you know, in her, in her early sixties, you know, and stuff. So, but you know, it's, it's interesting because her man, her, her head manager is in her thirties and, and, you know, and they had a good relationship, but you know, when this whole COVID thing hit, uh, you know, Yvette was doing uh, a lot of uh, God. What, what do they call it when they, when they, uh, uh, God, when they, uh, when you, 
when you want to do a different job, like, you know, like, um, God, I'm trying to think of the term, but anyway, she would, a lot of the nurses and stuff with young families, they didn't be, want to be working in the ICU or in, you know, specific areas. And, uh, you know, uh, I forget the term, but Yvette was able to find them other work in the hospital. And it was, it's all based on her experience. You know, her manager who's in her thirties was just like, you know, like amazed at Yvette being able to, you know, like, like really like blow out, you know, all of these positions and being able to find them work in the hospital. I mean, you know, uh, you know, she, she didn't realize the experience that Yvette had, you know, that's my point. Right? Once the COVID came, it was like, bang, you know, so. Yeah. And that's why, you know, having life experience, I think, in, in the world of addiction yeah. might be very valuable to say, hey, look, I've been there or I understand I've had bumps in the road. It's not life doesn't go just from A to Z. There's A to E to F. To Z. A lot of my students are, are career change uh, people, too. That's know? what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, You know, their career change. So they. There's a certain epistemology, there's a certain wisdom that just comes with number of years on the earth, even if you're adult, you know, like I am, but, you know, but it, it, I mean, there's a certain, yeah. Yeah, certain, certain wisdom. Yeah, huh? there's, you can't help but learn because you, right. you experience things and based on that alone. But I think people in recovery in, in particular need to know, hey, I came from a bad place too. And look, I was able to make it here. And so that's, that's your story. story. You're with yeah. Yeah. Right? You're, you're, of the program you know what i mean like hey look that's we come together and we share our experience strength and hope so but, how about, yeah. having said that willie what are some of the courses that you cover when you um you know in your class um like what are some of the things some, that, some of the courses that i teach or yeah because i do family and addiction i do family and addiction my my, my number one course though is uh addiction with co-occurring disorders so co-occurring disorders is you know, things like trauma, grief, abandonment, it's the affective disorders like bipolar disorder, major depression, schizoaffective, you know, that, that type of thing. And because a lot of times when I'm, when I'm working with addiction students, I'm really trying to emphasize mental health. When I go out to lecture nationally, you know, if I'm working with a mental health group, then I'm stressing the addiction because a lot of, a lot of times, you know, it, depending upon your degree in the program that you were in, you may have, you may have been all mental health with little or no addiction or you may be all addiction with little or no mental health uh, you know so and then i'm a practicing supervisor too so. same as dual diagnosis right dual diagnosis yes the old days co-occurring dual diagnosis yeah the uh, reason yeah the reason that they're trying to do away with the term dual diagnosis those of us in the addiction field or we always think yeah it's addiction with something else but if you say dual diagnosis to somebody in just psych it's two psych diagnoses or more you could be have bipolar disorder and uh, you know and an anxiety disorder that's dual and stuff okay. so that's why we say addiction with Rather than co-occurring right i get what yeah. you're saying so can we go back to boundaries i think it's going to be important like for people to have like just some tools as far as boundaries i think willie could help us with that too mm. so there's ways to know whether or not you are being too like not having any boundaries and um and i like what um, I was reading this article how it's kind of said, if you continue to bring up what the other person has done wrong in the past, right. or you put them on a guilt trip, or you're constantly telling them what to do, or you're criticizing them, there's, that's a good sign that your boundaries aren't strong, right? Yeah. Uh, you don't want to, you cover for them, or you're- Well, that's oftentimes where, where, where the family becomes more insane. You know, the, yeah. per, the person's in early recovery- and, you know, for obvious reasons, the family, the family isn't trusting right away and stuff. And it's like, well, we have to keep bringing it up because, you know, because you did this, this and this. And, it, you know, it can really it can really drag the person down that's trying to maintain the recovery. Also, too, sometimes, though, people get sober and family lose their roles. Their role was to be the, you know, the enabler. Their role was to take care of this person. Now, all of a sudden, this person is getting healthy. And, you know, and the, and the people that have the roles, they don't know what to do with themselves yeah. now. It's almost like you're trying to push them back out to you so they can get their role back. Right. Or set them up to failure. Like I know right. someone, yeah. I know someone who, um, I know someone who um, got well or started to get well. And it was kind of like they, in order to kind of shift, they, they became, you know, one of the family members um, got so immersed in that person's life, yeah. um, trying to like send them out before they're ready, really pushing them to, to do more, you know, um, to, than they were ready to do. Yeah. Right. 
you know, and, 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 and one of the addiction and somebody, and then one of the addiction counselors I know go, they're sicker than he is. That's why I say family. A lot of times they, they end up, they end up more insane than the people that were working with their addictions, you know, because for years, Willie, I dealt with the, with this from, you know, I won't say who, but so are you saying you can't have a glass of champagne at New Year's Eve? You can have a glass of champagne at New Year's Eve, right? Like that's, we all do that. Just work like that. (laughs) You know, that's part of the thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the biggest boundary issue is, you know, is not to enable them. I mean, you know, that's, that's, it's, you know, you, I don't doubt you're doing what you think is in your loved one's best interest, but more often than not, you're allowing the addiction to continue. Yeah. And you got to be on the journey. It sounds like what we're saying here is as a family, mm-hmm. you have to be on the journey with the, uh, the, the person that's struggling with addiction, you know, being all in as yeah. a family, not yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that I know, person. I, I have a suspicion that a family is over overly involved when I get a call, you know, I'll call it my practice and stuff. And it's, you know, it's the mother of the father of the one with the addiction, you know, my son, my daughter. And it's like, well, why aren't they making the call to me? You know, why, why, why aren't they making it? Well, you know, cause I really, they really need it. Like, have them call me. How do you distance yourself from this? Right. Like how do you distance yourself and not take this on as a, as a person? Like what, what do you do? Um, to provide your yourself self-care both of you working in this field how, how do you both like say wow this is really intense how do I not burn myself out into this how, how do you well I have a therapist and I and then I have a second therapist that happens to be a 90 pound golden retriever so anyone working in this field I tell my students all the time you know you should have your own therapist well I get supervision well that's no that's not the same supervision is how effectively are you doing your job right. you know you you secondary, you secondary trauma transference counter transference I don't know how you stay healthy in the field if you don't if you don't yeah. have your- you have to have your own therapist who's who's looking out for just you and you know and those of us in recovery we have a sponsor too so you've got you know two separate outlets you work your own program you know and you realize that you know and also it's a matter of of distancing yourself you know healthy detachment not you know you don't keep them enmeshed what they're going through you have to understand it's not about you know it's not about you but for for parents or for loved ones you know you could say hey look there's no drugs or alcohol ever for use and you have to stick to it you can't just you can't just say it and, and expect them to believe it because they're going to push and push and push and lie and put you have that, to be. That's one of the biggest things, Kim, is if you is if you make a threat to it, to to an alcoholic or addict, you better be willing to follow through on it, because if not, they own you. They, they own you. They absolutely you drink again, you can't come home. If you drink again, you can't come home. If you drink again, you can't come. I actually had a guy, an interesting case where, you know, he was in his 50s. And for for 30 years, his wife said, if you drink, you can't come home. And then she meant it and she pulled a restraining order and, and he was in the partial program with us at Arbor and he talked about, you know, it's like, how could she do that? And I said, well, from what you said, she was saying for 30 years, you know, that if you drank, you, 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 you couldn't go home. Yeah. But, but she never, but she never did it before. And it's like, well, she did it now, you know, right. and stuff. And he had a real entitlement. He was from, you know, Framingham and he, he learned there was a program in Framingham for, for post PHP with us and stuff and he said yeah I'll, ju- I'll just call up and i'll get into that program i said yeah well it doesn't it doesn't necessarily work that way there could be a waiting list and stuff and he goes no 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 i'm from framingham the program's in framingham they have to take me ah, i said oh, okay you know why don't you make that call i'll sit next to you here you know while you're making the call because i knew what was gonna happen. so we yeah. called up hi i'm so and so i live on such and such a street i'm wrapping up at the arbor in the partial program and you know uh when can i come there and, you know, and I could just see his face start, his face just started to get, get ready. He's like, what do you mean there's a waiting list? I live in Framingham. And it was like, hey, sorry, you know, and, uh, you know, he just, he just absolutely lost it on the phone. And then he, and then he hung up and he was like, uh, yeah, and what good are you going to be, be for me? And I went, hey, if you want, I'll be more than happy to get someone else to case manage you. And then he got panicked. He was like, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't mean anything about that. I said, yeah, you we need to well, bring that down or not. Think, yeah, in a group therapy situation and even in sober living, I think it's so important to, like, but my first question is, okay, why is this time different? But right. girls coming in that have been in recovery, uh, you know, rehab eight times, yeah. you know, eight times. And I'm going, so what, what makes this different? And if there's no, you know, I don't know, but, and if the parent, you know, if the parents are involved or this, 
okay, you know what I mean? You got it. You're not done. You know what I mean? Let me know when you're done. Yeah. Yeah. I usually, I usually know in a first session, if I, if I'm doing an initial assessment with somebody and stuff and we're, you know, we're, we're getting, we're, we're like a quarter in or halfway in to go, Oh yeah, by the way, can I get a letter from you for my PO? And it's like, okay, well, you know, but, but even then they may still get benefit, you know, I mean, you know, they can still get benefits. So. How, how important is, and, and I thought about this, um, this is something that they talk about in AA, I, I'm guessing, or, um, you know. From what you've heard. From what I've heard. <laughs> um, how, how important is, well, I like the 12 step stuff for me, just as a spirituality thing. I think it's great. But my question to you is how important is character into this, you know, cause it never, that never comes up to me. Like when I hear it, it's like, Depends on your definition of what do you mean by character? Well, I mean, like, you know, they say, oh, people are a dry drunk, right? Like, what does that really mean? Like, Let me just pause and pause there with the dry drunk. What I found yeah. over the years with what AA calls the dry drunk, you know, where nothing's right, everything sucks, it's never going to change, you know, the whole bit. More often than not, that's men, and that can be a sign of agitated depression, you know, you know, women and men, you know, uh, you know, the, the outward signs of depression can be quite different. Men, a lot of times, it is. It's an agitated depression. They're like trying to fight their way th through the depression. Right. Um, showing up, though. I'm talking about showing up every day, right? Like, I'm talking about being true to your word, showing up. You know, um, it doesn't sound like, I don't know, you know, from a sober living perspective, is that something that is it kind of reinforced like, listen, you got to have good character. You got to pay your bills on time. You got to, you got to show up when you make a commitment. Like, like, so, so you're saying characters tied in responsibilities. Right. Yeah. Like, like how does that, you know, how does that help sobriety? Right. I mean, I think it, it must be a huge part of that in recovery. You mean like maintaining their responsibilities? Yeah. Like, is that something that people talk about in treatment? Like to say, listen, I well, there's time management and scheduling. I mean, scheduling gives you freedom, you know, which seems like sort of an oxymoron because if you're, if you know, if you're scheduled, then you don't have freedom. Doesn't it come from the, when you start getting well, you start getting healthy, you start to, those things kind of come as a result of you. Taking does it? Do, does it? I mean, well, if you need help with it, then, you know, you offer help in those particular situations. But I think generally speaking, when, when you're on the path to recovery, you want to take care of things. You want to take care of yourself. You're looking at your stuff. You're looking at, you know, your character or defects, if you will. So you're kind of tackling those things, which then. Yeah, if, if your mindset goes from viewing everything as a problem to viewing everything as a challenge, because if you're viewing it as a challenge, you're asking for help and you're taking it on. If you're seeing things just as a problem, you're isolating and you're not asking for help. Just well, not I'm saying, ask for help, but yeah. right, there's physical sobriety, like having it, alcohol or drugs out of your system, but recovery is more than the Well, that's the what the steps are for, too. Right. right. Steps to help you with your character. But, you know, there's an old there's an old saying, and I'm sure if you, you know, what do you get if you sober up a blank? You get a sober blank. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, you know. Right. That's what I'm saying. So it's like, yeah. you know, you get sober and then, well, well your problems are still there. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, well, well, are they problems or are they challenges now? Right. Right. And if you're working them, if you're working them and you're really looking at the, your your character defects and your you're working with a sponsor to, to, to address them and take care of those things. Then they get, those things get handled um, as, you, yeah, yeah, solved as you, as you progress. Mm -hmm. uh, so can we go back to one thing? I, I guess yeah. we're getting near the end of this uh, festivities, but no, um, <laughs> no um, my question is going back to the education um, on addiction counseling and getting into a, uh, taking the education and the courses. Um, I know my sister got a federal, um, she got a, uh, a grant. Oh, right, right, right now. Now, now that you mentioned it and stuff, probably, uh, uh, Massachusetts Re Rehabilitation Commission, uh, they're, they're actually paying right now for like a hundred people to go through the UMass program, uh, you know, and, and they don't have to pay. So, I mean, you know, if you're interested in this state and stuff and you're in recovery, uh, well, you know, basically, but you know, um, you, you, you can call up the Massachusetts Rehabilitation commission and try to get into the fall group that's starting now okay and when does your classes start uh i start back i just wrapped up the summer session i start back uh september 10th or 8th september 8th are there spaces still available in your yes course? 
Yes, and I would definitely uh, check it out. But they, they can go to UMass, U, UMass Boston. Uh, when, you, when you get on the UMass Boston website, you go to the search engine, you just put in ACEP, which is Addiction Counselor Education Program, and it'll take you right to the page that, that has all the information. Also, they, they could give a call to the Massachusetts Rehabilitation. Yeah, we can put a link on our, on our Facebook page, too. We, we, we always say that, but we should. <laughs> uh, we will. Because I think it's really helpful, especially right now. Somebody lost their job. Somebody's been furloughed. Maybe I'm looking at a career change. Where do I go to get a job? This yeah. is a very admirable, needed field where there's op job opportunities like we talked about. So yeah, yeah. And the thing I say to my students all all the time is, you know, don't 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 stop until you get your master's. You just keep going until you get your master's. I actually had a woman a few classes ago. You know, she she was like, uh, you know, wh when did you wh when did you get your master's? I said I was 51, and she went. Oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm 50 and I was just thinking about maybe going back for my master's. I said, yeah, come on in. The water's fine. You know? Right. That's what I'm yeah. saying. So you don't have to take, you know, you can, you can explore a field, explore something in the field. And everybody I know that works in this field is incredibly nice and kind. I have yet really to meet any real jerks. I think I know one yeah. overall, but mostly everybody is just super kind and, um, you know, I'm just encouraging it to maybe look at that if you are looking for something new to get involved in. That sounds good. I think this is a great show, you guys. Thank you so much, Willie. What do you think, Pleasure. Andy? Pleasure. I love it. I love it. I love the round table. I'm yeah. like in the Brady Bunch right now with the boxes, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. it, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Take us out. All right. So thank you again, Willie. And, My uh, pleasure. Yep. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. Um, yep. As you all know, we do this podcast not only to help reduce stigma, but to be of service to anyone struggling with addiction or mental illness. We have access to an entire network of professionals, and we can help you find the right fit. Please reach out to us on our Facebook page and see if we can't uh, get you some help. Um, if you've, you've been listening to The Map, thank you for all for your support of our mission, and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Have a good week, everybody. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye.